their mindset's a lot different, you know, a teacher versus like a entrepreneur where I know this, my parents were teachers and they really valued having time off, which most entrepreneurs, they obviously don't value that based on what they're picking for how they're allocating their time where they're working weekends and nights. And I mean, my parents had all summer off. It was awesome. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Vogt, and today our guest is Drew Brenneman. Drew is an incredibly successful real estate investor who started with his first deals while he was in college. He did $2 million of real estate deals while he was in college. To today, 20 years later, he's done over $200 million worth of investment property deals. Today, we're going through his story, especially of doing those initial $2 million in deals when he was in college all those years ago. And then we're learning about how his different forms of education impacted his success in real estate. He's had three types of education in real estate. You're going to learn more about what those are by listening to the episode and which of those was the most effective in driving his success in real estate and was eh, kind of the least effective, but still effective nonetheless. Which one was number one, two, and then number three. Great knowledge today. If you're someone out there, you're not sure where to get started. You think you just need to go learn more about real estate investing before you go get started. Drew has some awesome knowledge that he's going to share with you today. Just about that. You're concerned about not feeling educated enough. Well, we're going to address that for you today. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor. I focus on multifamily and self-storage investment deals. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, once again, our guest is Drew Brenneman. Let's go. Drew, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to go through your journey starting out, starting your online business, and then growing to where you are in real estate today. Rewind the clock for us and tell us about how you started that internet business and got started as an investor. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Taylor. But yeah, so Drew Brenneman, Brenneman Capital, have about 200 million of property now, invested in multifamily in the Sun Belt, but didn't, didn't start out doing any of that. I'm from Wisconsin, I grew up in the Milwaukee area, and yeah, I sort of, in a way, fell into real estate. I started selling items online when I was a teenager in a video game called Diablo 2, and then I did it in a couple other games later. Yeah, we're like maybe similar age. Did you ever play any of those games, or are we... I played Diablo. Yeah. And so people like Taylor, maybe he would have wanted to buy a ring or a sword or a shield or something. And what I did, I didn't, I didn't end up playing Diablo two at all, but I, I just saw people were buying and selling the items on eBay. So, and I'd see them selling real inefficiently. Sometimes an item would go for $5, sometimes for 15. So then I, I saw some selling cheaply and figured, why don't I buy it and try to see if I can flip it. And I did. And then over the course of like four years, I did thousands of transactions and I saved all the money from doing it. So my parents were both teachers so that we were all about saving. And my parents were, they invested in stocks and mutual funds. So I heard a lot about investing. We didn't have any real estate or businesses or or anything like that in our family or extended family. But, you know, I, I knew about saving. I knew about investing. I knew about thinking long term from them. And so I started reading the books that most people would probably read when they're like 40 about investing, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Think and Grow Rich. All those books I read as like a 16-year-old. So I started doing what everybody does. I invested in the stock market and then traded options for a couple minutes when I was in high school. 
And then I was reading a book on real estate investing and it really liked how they were breaking it down. It was basically combining a business with an investment. It was sounded very attractive. The cash flow, you're paying your loan down. It's not correlated with other investments like stocks and bonds, or has a very low correlation, I should say. And then at buildings appreciate in value, you get tax breaks. So there's a lot of things that I liked, but where the light bulb really went off was he, they were explaining a really simplified appreciation example, saying if let's say you bought a duplex and you put 10% down on it and the home went up 3% in the year, that would be a 30% return on your equity. And for me, the light bulb really went off. I mean, that's an oversimplified example. And, you know, sometimes, you know, most of the time you got to put down more than 10%. But that really got me interested in real estate. And I was going to go to college the next year at UW-Madison in Madison, Wisconsin, obviously. So I said, when I go there, I'm going to buy my first property as a freshman. Then I'll live in its sophomore year. And I did that. So I got a realtor when I was in the dorms. Bought a duplex, rented out the upstairs unit, and got two friends to rent out the other two bedrooms with me in the lower unit, and I was off and going. So that I ended up buying three more deals while in school, so another duplex and two more three units. So bought about $2 million of property then in school and had invested all my money at that point and wanted to sort of figure out what else could I do. And I took a full-time job to learn from some of these bigger investors. So I moved to Minnesota and took my first full-time job at a multifamily development company where they, there was one of the top owners in the country, Dominium. They have, I think like 50,000 apartments by now. So they're a major owner. So learned a lot from them. I was only there for a year, but the big thing was I met my first partner and investor there. So got started with them. So one of my coworkers, he was an intern at the time said, why don't we go chat with my dad? Maybe he'd want to invest in property with all of us. I think he had already saw like that I was doing deals on my own. There was activity there, something like we could, it wasn't just like an idea, like, Hey, maybe we could buy a property or something like I was already doing that. And then we could just do it together was sort of the pitch. And they really liked a deal in that meeting, a two tenant shopping center. And we ended up buying one, buying that property from the meeting. I I brought, I had no idea what kind of money they would want to invest. So I had a $200,000 duplex printed out and sort of some info on all the way up to like a $5 million broken condo deal in the Bay Area, just as like example deals. So, you know, for the 10 years following that from 2009 to 2019, we bought about $100 million of property together. And then, you know, just doing one deal at a time, you know, usually we're seemed like we were always under contract on something, but not, you know, just kind of one at a time. It wasn't like we'd bought that all in a, in a year or anything. And then most of it too was building that portfolio was re, you know, buying something and then raising the rents, raising the value, and then doing a cash out refinance tax free, and then putting that into the next deal or selling the property and then doing a, a 1031 tax deferred exchange into a bigger deal. And then 2019, I started working with another family as well, doing the same thing, bought about a hundred million with them. But then, yeah, in terms of like it's different what I'm doing now, I, I had a lot of people over that, let's say 10, 12 year period asked me about investing in our deals and we were we were not really set up to do that. So all of our accounting, everything is sort of built just to cater to the, you know, like of our partners. And so I set up, you know, Brenneman Capital more formally in 2021, where before that was just kind of to help my involvement in these other partnership type deals. But then we started raising capital more just on a typical syndication style, really start specializing in only multifamily because we, we were buying other product types too. Over that period of time, we bought shopping centers, office buildings, industrial, multifamily, 
did a bunch of different product types, did really well with it on our sold deals. Our average return is a 25% IRR. And those aren't like short holds. Those are, you know, for like a five-year period. So it wasn't like a, just like a quick flip. So so we've been investing, you know, in the Sunbelt is where what Brennan Capital focuses on. Phoenix, Dallas, Austin, only multifamily. So just we've we focused five to fifty million deal size. Core plus is the in value add type deals. Core plus is like newer, nicer deals, but some sort of still value add you can do to it, but usually not with like a lot of construction. You know, maybe you can buy it cheaply because you have to assume the loan or a real common profile deal we bought is it's a brand new building. The developer builds it, but then they maybe lease it up in the winter or, you know, rent it out below market. We can buy a new building and just raise the rents, you know, in the first, you know, once those initial leases burn off and walk into a, a good amount of equity without taking a lot of risk. So, wow. So a lot there. Great to go through your journey and learn about scaling up. I want to Wind it back to doing those first two million in deals while you were in college and buying that first duplex with your money. So you bought the first duplex, rented it out. Can you tell us about how you proceeded to buy those additional properties and, and really obtain the financing? Because at that time you probably didn't have income that you could show for a mortgage and really how you closed those deals in terms of nuts and bolts. Yeah. So the first deal that I bought was in this hard to remember every detail now that is, you know, 15 years ago plus 20, but it was, but the first ones it's, yeah, it's burned in my head. I mean, the first deal is 220,000 is what I paid. I put 35,000 down. So a 15% down payment. This was in 2005. So you didn't need income to qualify for a loan, but I actually did have it. Because I, I was reporting the income from the business on my tax return. So I did have income. And so I was able to get a owner-occupied loan on this duplex with with documented income. So my rate was was good at the time. It was like, I think, five and a quarter percent was my rate, where if you would have done one of those no-doc loans, the rate was like pushing 7%. So that was the first deal. And really on that, I just kind of kept it simple where, again, I had not, I ended up majoring in real estate at UW-Madison where they have a top, depends on the year, one or two program in the country for real estate, but I hadn't taken any of those classes yet. I was still doing my, like, you know, whatever the initial ones are called, where it's, you know, so I'm taking, you know, econ 101 and, you know, English and stuff. So I haven't done any real estate classes. So I, I really just knew what I had read in these books and... But I had read a, quite a number of real estate investing books that I just got from the library and read. But I really focused on just making sure it was cash flow positive. That was my number one thing where really making sure I, I thought I had the rents estimated right and the expenses. Because even though I'm not a expert, I think anybody could figure out what it should rent for. You just look at the other buildings that are competing and say, if I had to rent this out, what do I think I could get? And then I figured out how to use the gross rent multiplier, you know, where that's that simple, you know, just your annual rent times a number equals the value. And so what you do is you see deals that sold and find and go back and calculate what was the gross rent multiplier on that deal. So, you know, if it was the annual rents were 20,000 a year and then you saw it sell for 200,000, you go, okay, it's a 10 gross rent multiplier. Then you, you remember that. And then when it's, you know, your step up to the plate to buy the deal and you're buying it at 10 GRM, you go, okay, that makes sense. I saw these other five deals sell like that. It's cash flow positive. And I kind of thought my worst case, like what's my how do I get burned on this and that's why I like the cash flow positive deal was worst case is I overpay but I got my rents and expenses right and I'll just hold it I'll cash flow what I estimated I'll pay my loan down and eventually it'll go up enough where I'll still make money on that but it would just 
you know, I might need to hold it longer. So I really, you know, so that was my whole plan. I ended up selling that deal in a year for 270,000. So I made, you know, a boatload of money for being, you know, 20 or whatever I would have been by then. And then you want me to walk through all four of the deals or what were you asking? Yeah, that'd be great. I'll have some questions. Yeah. So then the second one I bought, I was, while I still own the first, it would, this one was off market with, or it was an ad in the newspaper actually, where the lady was selling (laughs) it just directly like a for sale by owner. And to buy that one, what I did was I somehow put refinanced the, or put a second mortgage or refinance a second mortgage on the first and then use that money to buy the second one, if that makes sense. So I was able to pull money out somehow, even within, with only owning it for a, a few months, you know? So then this is where it was, <laughs> it was either we pulled it out or I was able to just cross collateralize the two. And I don't remember receiving any money, but it was almost like refinance this one loan and then, or excuse me, refinance both loans on the, on the first property. Cause then there was a second mortgage on it. There was a small piece that was for that is an 80% first mortgage and a 5% second mortgage. So it was now you can increase, this is how the, you know, the market was in 2005, just increase your second mortgage up a little, put that into the next deal made sense to me. And again, these were still cash flow positive. So didn't, you know, now I would have been like, I'd rather take on an investor and just put in a fresh down payment on the second one, but I didn't have any investors, just my own money. So that's how I got the second one. Then I sold the first, I sold the first one. So I had the money from that. And then I bought the third one with no money down for 660,000, a three unit that was also off market. It just, there was a sign in the yard and I just called the sign and worked out a deal with the guy over time, worked him down in price and got it. And then that one I sold a year later, I bought it for six, six fifty with, and then there was a $10,000 seller credit. So six sixty was what I paid. If you like, you were to look up the contract is so six sixty, And then I sold it for I think seven eighty a year later. And it was all because I raised the rents. I raised the rents so much on that property where it was four and five bedroom units. And I remember I raised it at like at least 500 bucks a unit. So I, and if the market at that point started dropping, I had a broker, give me a price opinion, be whatever you want to call it, where it was like, I thought you think you could sell for 930,000 based on the gross rent multiplier. And I paid 650. I was like, wow, that's a lot for a year. So, but the market <laughs> was in, was, you know, the rental market was still strong because this is student housing, but the way these things were being valued, the gross rent multipliers were coming down. So cap rates going up, people use that. So I wasn't able to sell it for 930. It was, I ended up selling it for 780, but I should have just kept it in the fourth deal I bought. I bought, this would have been, this was a worse deal than the third, just objectively, just numbers wise. I bought it for 670, 670,000. And then I expanded into the basement and added more livable space. And so on that deal, if I would have sold it in 2009, I would have just been walking away from my equity and so been able to sell it and pay the loan off, but I kept it. And in 2017, I sold it for a million two two. So there was a lot of things in between along the way where we I improved the property a lot, reinvested pretty much all the cash flow into new appliances and better doors and renovating the kitchens and some stuff in the bathrooms and yeah, rebuilding all these decks and porches and stuff. But it was you know that just shows like the power of long term investing where you know what would you rather have something where you make a hundred grand in a year or probably with the cash flow and then the difference in what I sold, bought and sold it for, plus paying the loan down, I probably made a million dollars on that fourth deal. So obviously I'd rather have the the million, right? So <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty solid. So it strikes me that you have, I would say, and you can agree or disagree with this, but 
it seems to me you have three kinds of education in real estate. You have your formal education where you went to college for real estate and got a degree in that. You have a semi-formal education in real estate where you were working for somebody else to help you build your skill set and everything. And then you have the informal education of just going and doing deals on your own. How would you compare and contrast? Whether, first off, do you agree with that? And then if you do, how would you compare and contrast those three in terms of their impacts on where you are today and your success? Yeah. And I, I do agree with what you're saying and they all helped. I would if I had to rank what was the help from like most helpful to least, definitely doing your own deals, then working somewhere and then school where in both my parents are teachers, you know, so this is, you know, maybe going against what I was probably taught as a kid, but they, everybody in the, 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 the schooling, that's good for getting some basics, but you can get the same stuff just reading books for free. So it's, you were more on your own in terms of that, obviously, where in school it's curated, but the best thing about going to Madison was the network, you know, just the people that I had met there going to school that no, you know, not as a investor in your deal, but just a lot of the lenders or brokers or people I work with or people who work at really big companies I can ask questions to there. I went to school with them or they went to Madison and they're older than me and I see them at these events. And then, you know, I learned way more at my, at these jobs than in school because you're actually doing deals and, you know, I, conceivably you're learning best practices and stuff. But one thing you realize working at these places is a lot of times like there's not any magic really in terms of why is this place successful? It's like, no, they just, it's like regular, the owner's just like a regular person. They just took a risk and went for it and put in a lot of hard work. Usually that's like the two things is those two. Not not like the guy went to, or gal like went to Harvard undergrad, Harvard MBA. And, you know, it's like, it's usually not that. Like more, the people I work for are more all, you know, more like just really, really put in a lot of work and we're, we're sharp at real estate. So, but yeah, nothing kind of beats in terms of education wise doing your own deals. Cause I mean, you're obviously paying an attention, attention when you're an employee, but those are, that's not your own money. You're not signing on the loan and you learn a lot more when it's, you're making a decision. It's actually your money or your investor's money that's going into this decision, or I'm going to get this loan and then I'm the one signing on it, or we're deciding to spend this money or buy this deal. And then that's, you're putting your actual money in, not just something at work where you're, yeah, we can get it approved and you know, it should go well. That's what we do, you know, kind of, kind of thing. So that's how I would rank it. And yeah, I agree with you where they all helped, but that would be how I would, you know, so someone kind of starting out, I would just to build on that, maybe you want to like take action. Like I want just like, don't overeducate yourself where I probably learned more just buying that duplex than, than even going to school. You know, I learned different things. Like I didn't learn how to calculate an IRR buying the duplex. I learned that in school, but I didn't, but, and you know, you could have learned that just on the internet though, or in a book. So, yeah, that's true. I mean, spending however much time and money you would spend on a college course just to learn how to calculate IRR is uh, you can do that for free on the Internet and, and, and pick that up. Now, I wonder, is there anything that, in your opinion, you learned from the formal education aspect that you could not have learned or would have been very difficult to learn through doing deals or the semi-formal education of working for someone else just to kind of play? devil's advocate and kind of play with that idea of the formal education and real estate and its utility. Yeah. I mean, I cannot think of something right now off the top of my head, but I'm sure, I'm sure there was, you know, but in terms of like a lot of the textbooks that we had for the class though, like those, you, it's not like a 
secret book you can only buy there like you could buy that and you, you know so there was information and you the thing where i did learn stuff a lot was also we'd have guest speakers and stuff your your professor would tell you versus maybe what would be on a test you know so i so yeah we we did learn plenty of stuff where it it, it helped where there's things or maybe people, if you're just only working on your own, you would run into it and go, oh, some, but a lot of it's like kind of theoretical. Like I've never like used the formula for the weighted average cost of capital that I learned. But if I had like two loans in place, <laughs> let's say I would know to multiply them together by what you owe and figure out what, you know, what's my like blended interest rate. But like, that's also your, you know, your weighted average cost of capital. And there's a fancy formula you had to memorize, but so no, I mean, it's, it definitely was helpful, but in a different, you know, in a different way. And I mean, personally, I think college is more about just helping sort of transition somebody from being essentially a kid to an adult where I also, you know, learned how to be on my own essentially while I was in school. And it's kind of like with, you know, you're baby stepping into the real world, going to the dorm and then, you know, doing your own laundry and then, you know, going to a house. And so that's, you know, I think a big piece of college too, is that just kind of getting into adulthood and figuring out what you want to do with your life. Yeah, absolutely. The the classic college experience. But I think in this in this world, especially when folks are, are busy professionals that have a formal education, like many of our listeners and want to get into real estate, they the the first route, and I did this myself too, so I'm not, you know, bringing anybody down, but the first route folks might think to go is say, hey, I'm going to go take a college course about this, maybe go get a, some kind of master's in some kind of real estate type of thing to get a, a formal education. But from what you're saying, that's not the, it, it's effective, but it's not the optimal strategy. It's kind of the worst of the three options. That we yeah. Have. I have a guy who works for me who has a master's in real estate and he, most of what he talks about that he learned there was they, UW has a real estate fund that they let the, they have the students source deals. And then there's an investment committee with like big players on it, like Jerry Fink, Bascom Group, Brian Eisendrath, these guys that are doing billion dollar deals. And then you got to get it by these guys and then they fund it. But the fund's like a couple million bucks. Anyways, most of the stories about what, what they learned there was like working on that fund. So that was at least as valuable in terms of like educational moments as the whole rest of the thing. So just another reason, like you learn a lot by doing so. Yeah, my advice, it's, it's great. You got to get some sort of education. So whether that's going to be in real estate, whether that's going to be from a boot camp or podcasts or college or reading on your own, you know, for me, it was reading on my own. Cause one other funny thing was too, we would have these classes It'd be like appraisal class, let's say. And then the teacher would ask me like, what are you seeing for cap rates or gross and multipliers in Madison drew? Cause, and I'm the only one doing deals like the teacher's not, you know, and then none of the other students are. So then they'd ask, I'm the only only person doing real estate right now. So there's, you know, so there's things you need to learn, but you can get that a variety of different ways. So then once you have the basics down, you're just going to learn so much more by doing. Interesting. So yeah, it strikes me how many college business and, and like MBA professors that might teach real estate investing or entrepreneurship or what have you aren't actively engaged in those businesses. They're not doing deals like your professor wasn't or in the entrepreneurship case, they may have never founded a company. They're just kind of teaching the the academic thoughts around this. And yeah, that, that yeah, definitely. And their, their mindset's a lot different, you know, a teacher versus like a entrepreneur where, and I know this, my parents were teachers and they, they really valued having time off, which most entrepreneurs, they, they obviously don't value that based on what they're picking for, you know, how they're allocating <laughs> their time where they're working weekends and nights and I mean, my parents had all summer off. It was awesome as a kid. We went on vacation sometimes for like no exaggeration for a month or more sometimes. 
So yeah, they have three months off. They, before they had me as a, their kid, they, they would go backpacking all summer for like two or three months out in like Colorado and stuff. So was, they've been to every national park almost in the country. So it's a different lifestyle, but you get paid less and you're making trade-offs, but right. So then that person teaching a business class, you know, compared to the, the guy or gal who's got, you know, a billion dollar portfolio, it's like a totally different animal. So a hundred percent, hundred percent. Wow. So much great knowledge right now. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo, and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Drew, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Let's go. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Yeah, I think the really the best investment, it's obviously going to be a real estate deal. And I think it's, I would say, I mean, obviously for me, that the first deal we bought in that meeting, actually, that shopping center in Minnesota turned out to be a really uh, a home run. I mean, we bought a really nice deal at the right time. We've, we still own it and we have so far four timed our money just on distributions to date and we still own it. So that would be, that would be my best investment to date. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? The In high school, trading stocks and options. That was the worst move. So this is before smartphones. So I'd go, I'd try to sell a call or buy a call or put on a put spread or something before class. Then I'd come back from home and I'd come home from school and see what happened. And it's like, yeah, it went in and then the market dropped and you lost all your money. So you lost five grand today. So that wasn't so hot. But taught me a good lesson. But good to learn on. those. Yeah, <laughs> <You> <laughs> yes, say that. exactly. Good lesson to learn early on with relatively small amounts of money. Although at the time, they were pretty significant for you. My favorite question here at the end of the show is: What is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Yeah, I really, I've sort of learned it almost in reverse. I always had it, and then I realized it was a huge advantage. But most important lesson would be how important having the right mindset is. You know, that that my parents taught me and it's all the credit to them where I always thought that I could do something that I that I wanted, where I never even when we were talking about education there, I kind of was thinking in the back of my head like that's people's insecurities coming out where they're saying, oh, I can't buy this. I don't know enough. I never thought that I literally thought I have the money. I want to buy this rental property and I bought it. There's not more steps involved than that. I needed to learn a little bit more. <laughs> but so I always thought that. And same thing with the people that were that I work for. I didn't think they were superhuman or anything. They obviously were smart and but it was more about like they just went for it. So kind of realizing that and always thinking that from the beginning was a huge advantage for me. So if someone if if try to think about it that way, it'll help you a lot if you can. Would be my best advice. Awesome. Well, Drew, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing all this knowledge, all these lessons. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, 
where can they track you? Yeah. I mean, if you want to hear my podcast, I have a real estate investing podcast. It's for active and passive real estate investors. It's called the Brenneman Blueprint. Then if you want to contact me or sign up to be on our investor list to invest passively in those multifamily deals, you can go to Brenneman.com. So B as in boy, R-E-N-E-M-A-N. And then you can click on invest now and throw in all your info. We also have a passive investing guidebook on there. It's got a hundred plus pages on learning about investing in real estate passively. Because yeah, I really agree with what you're talking about, Taylor, where this, I don't go as far as to call it a casino, but it's pretty, pretty dang close where you're throwing in your money and your computers are moving the stocks around and all this stuff. And whereas in real estate, especially if you're looking long-term and, you know, not taking on too much risk, it's, you know, it's the proven to outperform the stock market with less risk, like in terms of the actual, actual facts. So that's where I like hanging my hat for my career. So if you're thinking about or have, you can just invest with us and kind of eliminate some of the brain damage. So awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see your ratings and reviews. I get to see that you're engaging with the content. And I get to see that you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.